This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. The Great Resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Reading from verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter that is, Then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due season. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. Um, Amen. No one doubted that Jesus of Nazareth died that day on that Roman cross. Certainly not the soldiers who nailed him to that cross and who drove a spear into his side. Not the scribes and Pharisees uh, who put him on trial and who eventually got him put onto that cross, but removed his body because the Sabbath was coming on and made sure he had died uh, before his body was taken off the cross. Not his mother and a few women and John who stood and watched him die that cruel death. Not Peter who denied him and with the rest of the disciples fled. Not Pilate who ordered his execution, knowing full well that those soldiers would be very thorough in their carrying out of their grisly task. Not Joseph of Arimathea, who buried him in his own tomb, or Nicodemus, who brought the 100 pounds of spices and made sure that his body was beautifully embalmed. For three days... Anyone who was a friend or a foe of Jesus was left in absolutely no doubt that he had died. That his three-year itinerant ministry was gone forever. Whatever the hopes and dreams of his friends and of his disciples had been to that point were now irrevocably lost forever. It was over for good, as far as they were concerned. The Jews were satisfied. This dangerous preacher was at last gone. His influence that was spreading like wildfire, that was threatening all the religious traditions, had been finally snuffed out. And very soon, probably in a few weeks, he would be forgotten. His disciples will go back to their day jobs. 
and everything that this so-called Messiah had promised would no longer be a reality. And anyway, there had been many Messiahs, so-called, who had come and gone. And after they had gone, within just weeks or months, they were never heard of again, and their disciples were scattered and disillusioned. And that would be the end of it. But we know that that was not the end of it. Hallelujah. That was just the beginning of it. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He had died according to the Scriptures. He rose again according to the Scriptures. This tells us that this was no misfortune upon a Jewish itinerant messianic preacher. That this was something that was foreordained and, and predestined by God Himself. It was according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures were fulfilled right to the very letter, right to the very moment. What else but the resurrection could have turned those disheartened, <laughs> deluded, so-called uh, uh, disciples who were now scattered? What else? But the resurrection could have gathered those men again and made them into fiery preachers that on the day of Pentecost would win thousands to the Lord himself. In just six weeks, those disillusioned, disheartened disciples were now great evangelists. The resurrection of Christ was that momentous, life-changing hope-inspiring, faith-building occasion. And the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures we read together leaves us in no doubt whatsoever to the truth of his resurrection. He parades before us eyewitnesses. He writes a whole chapter on the resurrection to the Corinthian church. And the first half of that chapter is about the resurrection of Christ. The second half basically is about the resurrection of Christians. And so it's an absolutely vital chapter in the Bible. And so here's Paul's lineup of eyewitnesses. It's almost as if he's saying to the Corinthian church, if you don't believe me, let me tell you about some eyewitnesses. That he was seen by Cephas or by Peter. What a moment that must have been in Peter's life. Because the last time that Peter and Jesus' eyes met, you'll remember, was that moment at that third time he denied his master. And when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned around and looked at him, and their eyes met. Here's what the Scriptures say. In Luke twenty-two sixty. don't turn to it. But Peter said, this is his third denial, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. What a dark three days that must have been in his life. We know that Judas went out and hung himself. And I'm sure the thought maybe passed Peter's mind also. 
What a terrible, humiliating, embarrassing situation. The one who promised that he would even die for Jesus has denied him, and Jesus looked him right in the eye at that fateful moment. But now, after the resurrection, he meets Jesus, and Jesus again looks him right in the eye. What a moment that must have been for Peter. What was running through his mind at that time? <laughs> Bible doesn't tell us. But what a precious moment. He was seen by Peter. Then it says in verse 5 again, he was seen by the twelve. Now on that first resurrection evening, whenever ten of those disciples, remember Judas is gone, and ten out of the remaining eleven were in that room with the doors locked. In fear of their lives, they were afraid of the Jews. Perhaps the Jews would seek them out and get them crucified too. Stamp out this heretical sect. And so they were genuinely afraid and they were in hiding. And all of a sudden, it wasn't a knock on the door. The door didn't open, but Jesus just literally appeared in their very presence. What a moment that must have been for all of them that was there. And what did he say to them? Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Then he says, look at my hands. Look at my sight. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And in that few moments, their lives were changed forever. Suddenly, he appeared. But Thomas was not with them that night. We don't know why. Maybe his disillusionment with the whole movement was shattered. Maybe he felt, what's the point in us meeting together? What good's it going to do? We'll just commiserate with each other. But what good will that do? I can't be bothered. I'll just stay at home. But then when the word got back, when the disciple says, we have seen the Lord. Hmm. Remember what he said? Unless and until I see the nail prints in his hands and put my finger in them, unless I put my hand on his side, I will not believe. Not that I cannot believe, I will not believe. He had a problem with his will. And so for whatever reason, eight days later, this time, again in that room, same disciples, but Thomas was with them. Maybe out of curiosity, Maybe out of, well, you know, maybe there's just a chance that they weren't hallucinating. So this time I'll just go along. I'll just meet with them. 
If he turns up, he turns up. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Because they had no guarantee whenever they'd ever see him again. And suddenly, Jesus appears in the midst. And he looks right at Thomas. And he says, Thomas, reach forth your hand. Put your finger in my wounds. And be not faithless, but believing. <laughs> and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He didn't have to do it. He didn't need any more convincing. He had met the master. And that was enough. He was hard-boiled. He was full of unbelief. He had no faith at all that Jesus had appeared to the disciples. But in that one moment, he became a believer again. And he had met the Lord. He had seen, been seen by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some had fallen asleep. Now, probably Paul, remember this is just about somewhere between 20 and 25 years after the event when Paul's writing this. So in all probability, Paul himself, having visited Jerusalem, had met and had talked to some of these eyewitnesses. And he's saying to the Corinthians, look, if you don't believe me, there's still lots of those eyewitnesses who are still alive. Some of them have fallen asleep, but the great majority are still living to this day. If you don't believe me, there's still eyewitnesses. There's hundreds who have seen him in the flesh. The evidence was overwhelming. Jesus was alive. One commentator said that that there's more documentary evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is of the conquest of Julius Caesar in Britain. Much more. And nobody's in any doubt that the Romans conquered Britain. But there's much more evidence that Jesus rose again from the dead. It is so crucially important for the believer to believe that. It's not a spiritual resurrection. It's not a metaphor for something. It's a real, genuine, authentic, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is at the very heart and center of our Christian faith. No wonder it is continually attacked. I suppose you've noticed for years now that coming up to Easter, there's always, always, always some new supposed evidence against it, isn't there? Always. But none of it has worked. After that, verse 7, he was seen of James. Now, James, of course, was his half-brother. <coughs> Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters, Scripture tells us. 
And none of them, absolutely none of them in all of those 33 years believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Now you would think after all of the miracles, the undeniable miracles, even raising the dead, you would think at some point the penny would drop, but it didn't. In all of those 33 years, right up to he went onto that cross, he had not got the backing of his brothers or sisters in the flesh. They just did not believe him. And it was only until the resurrection. And I'm sure when Jesus was put onto that cross and crucified, I'm sure that his siblings said, well, there you see, we were right all along. He was not the Messiah. Somehow or other, he was deluded. Somehow or other, he had a messianic complex. And sadly, and finally, it's over. I'm sure that's what they thought. Because there was not even a, 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 not the least bit in their mind thought that Jesus was the Messiah. They just did not believe that. And after that, he was seen of James. One writer said, it's interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus was on the cross and John and his mother was there, that Jesus handed over the care and the comfort of his mother to John and not to James. Hmm. Well, there's maybe two reasons for that. First of all, James wasn't there. And John was. And secondly, Jesus, by his foreknowledge, knew which disciple would outlive all of the rest. But anyway, Jesus sought out James. He deliberately sought out James. Now we know from the writings of James that he was a fairly strong-willed man. He shot from the hip. He was hard-hitting. He was quite opinionated. And he wasn't afraid to give his opinion. And we know that history tells us he became uh, one of the leaders of the early church in Jerusalem. And so he was a man of leadership quality, a man who could think for himself, a man who wasn't afraid to express his opinion. And so of all of, <coughs> excuse me, of all of Christ's siblings, I think this would be the one that he would seek out first. Because if he could convince James, I'm pretty sure the rest could be convinced. And it was probably James then who convinced the rest. And so he came to James, and James immediately became one of his most ardent disciples, one of his most loyal disciples. And the book of James is a beautiful, beautiful book. It's such a practical book. But James truly, from that moment, was faithful and loyal and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ 
eyes, not just his brother in the flesh, but as his Lord and his Savior and his Master. The resurrection changed James and changed all of Christ's brothers and sisters. And it took the resurrection to do that. Then by all of the apostles, it says, by all those who would be leaders of the early church. <coughs> Excuse me. Then verse 8, Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Saul of Tarsus was a highly intellectual man. He was a man of letters. He would be today a theologian. But his hatred for Jesus of Nazareth and these Nazarenes absolutely knew no bounds. He despised them. And he, if necessary, single-handedly would stamp out this heretical sect from Israel. He wanted rid of it completely to the point where he even got letters from the Sanhedrin to go to Damascus, the capital of Syria, out of his own nation to go as far as he could possibly go and hunt down Christians and bring them back and put them on trial and see them stoned to death if necessary. That was his passion. And worst of all, he thought he was doing it for God. <coughs> we see a lot of people doing a lot of things for Allah today. Brittle. Well, Paul wasn't much different. Saul of Tarsus, I should say. But the trouble was that while he was doing this, and while he was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter on his way to Damascus, there was another battle raging in his heart. The battle of conscience. Because he was the chief witness at the stoning of Stephen. And as he looked and listened to Stephen, you know, at Stephen's trial, it says that they looked at him as though he had a face of an angel. He was absolutely shining for Jesus. And when Saul of Tarsus stood there and watched him being stoned to death, he could not help but hear how that Stephen prayed for forgiveness for those who were stoning him to death. And that lodged in his heart, and he could not shake it off. And the harder he went against believers, the more his conscience pricked him. And on that road to Damascus in Acts 9, whenever Jesus showed up, <laughs> And immediately, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Is that you, Lord? Is that you, Lord? Stephen says, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And when Saul of Tarsus looked at him, 
he instinctively knew that Stephen was looking into another world. And the light of another world was shining on him. Is that you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Lord, what will you have me do? There was an immediate, instant response when he saw the resurrected, risen Savior. And his life was changed completely forever. Christianity's greatest opponent became Christianity's greatest proponent. Christianity's greatest antagonist became Christianity's greatest apologist. Christianity's greatest adversary became Christianity's greatest advocate in an instant, in a moment of time. The resurrection had startling effects on all of the disciples. Haven't time this morning to tell you about Mary Magdalene. What a beautiful, touching, poignant story that is. In that cold resurrection morning when she thought Jesus was the gardener until he said her name, Mary. And once he said her name, Mary, she instantly recognized him. Haven't time to tell you about the two in the road to a mess. Well, their hearts burned within them. When they hadn't recognized Jesus, as they walked along the way, and he began to open them, Moses and the prophets and all the scriptures concerning himself. And then suddenly their eyes were opened, and they saw him. They saw him. Everyone who met Christ after the resurrection was absolutely changed forever. Now, there are several reasons why Jesus was raised from the dead. Scripture tells us in Romans 4.25 that God raised him from the dead for our justification. Listen to it. He who was delivered up because of our offenses was raised for our justification. Raised for our justification. We are justified before God today. Not that we deserved it, not that we earned it, but we are justified before a holy God because Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. He had to be raised for our justification. The cross and the empty tomb go together, can't separate them. God raised him from the dead to prove his deity. Romans 1, 3, and 4, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. (coughs) Not just a man, but the God-man. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
So God raised him from the dead to prove his deity. And it proved it to all of those we mentioned this morning. There was absolutely no doubt about it. There were signs that the Lord himself gave regarding his resurrection. The scribes and the Pharisees came to him seeking a sign. And he says, an adulterous generation seeks after signs. But he says, I'll give you a sign. A sign of the prophet Jonah. He was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. But he came out of that fish. And the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But he'll come out of there. There's a sign for you. Want a sign? I'll give you a sign. See all these great stones in the temple? Tear it all down in three days, I'll build it up again. We're still looking at the stones. Forty-six years this has been building. And you're going to build it up in three days? But he was talking about his body. <laughs> his body. God's temple on earth. Three days. Rose up again. Isaac goes up Mount Moriah three-day journey comes back again. And the action by Abraham and Isaac, God took it as if he'd killed him. It was symbolic of the resurrection. God raised him up from the dead to prove his deity. In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 8, sorry, verse 18, beg your pardon. Revelation 1, 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And of the keys of Hades and of death. No mortal man, no ordinary man, the God-man, very man, very God. Here he is declaring, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I have the keys of death and hell. He holds the keys of death and hell. Amen. Hmm. God raised him from the dead to be the head of the church. In Ephesians 1, 19 and 23, here's what Paul says. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. 
seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The resurrected living Christ is the head of the church. That's what makes Christianity so uniquely different. Yes, they all had their prophets, but they're all dead and gone and buried. But Jesus came back from the dead and is still alive, never more to die, seated at the right hand of the Father, and is the head of the church. Not the Pope, not the Queen of England, but Jesus Christ is the head of the church and only Jesus. God raised him from the dead that we may walk in the power of a new life. Romans 6, 4 and 5. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. (coughs) Excuse me. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. There's something about the power of the resurrection life that's even in us today. That gives us life even to this very day. Never mind when we die. God raised him from the dead that you and I might be raised from the dead also. Romans 8 and 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Glory to God. Jesus says, because I live, you shall live also. I am the resurrection of life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die eternally, that is. Hmm. It's never a pleasant task to conduct funerals but it's a lot easier if you know the person that you're burying is a true believer in Christ. And you know it's only temporary. <coughs> and you know that one day they shall be resurrected. And God will give them a body like unto his glorious body. <laughs> and one day we shall have a glorious body like his. That's the power of the resurrection. God raised him from the dead that he might be the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Acts 2, 32, 33. This Jesus God has raised up, Peter said, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which ye both see and hear. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said so, didn't he? I'm not worthy to tie his sandals, but he he shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. 
God raised him from the dead that he might be a prince and a savior. Acts 5, 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and savior. Hallelujah. God raised him from the dead to be our intercessor and our advocate. Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. <laughs> From that moment on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended, and those disciples stood gazing up from that moment. And he took his place at the right hand of the Father from that moment. He has never, ever stopped praying for you. It's lovely when somebody says, I'm praying for you, isn't it? But know that Jesus is our intercessor. He's our advocate in heaven. He's the one that sits at the right hand of the Father. And if the accuser of the brethren comes along, Jesus is our advocate. He's our intercessor. And if Christ is praying for you at the right hand of the Father, you're going to make it. You're going to get through. Lovely when the brethren pray. And we pray for people every Tuesday night and every Thursday night in this church. We call your name out and we pray for you. And that's good and right that we do that. But Jesus is praying for you. And his prayers never fail. Sure they don't. He is the intercessor, our advocate. The resurrection is the very central plank of all that we believe. Take the resurrection away and the rest will crumble and fall. The resurrection is the evidence. It's the proof. Glory to God. Now, Jesus met with those disciples for a period of 40 days by many infallible proofs. And then he was gone. Then he was gone. Mary Magdalene, when she recognized him, she wanted to hold on to him. He says, touch me not. They had the scent of the Father. There's things they still had to do. But, in effect, what he was saying to Mary is, listen, you now got to walk by faith, not by sight. I'm not going to be here anymore. I'll send my Holy Spirit. He told us in John 14 and 16. I'll send my Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to be here anymore. So you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Thomas. You've seen me, but blessed are those who have never seen me. That's us. We're the ones who are walking by faith, not by sight. We don't need to see him in the flesh until we get to the glory. But we need faith to believe him. Amen? And today we have worshipped and rejoiced because of Christ's resurrection. And it's right that we should do so because that's the central plank in our Christian faith. And so be blessed today. We serve a risen Savior, a living Christ, one who is and will return to this earth. 
and the mockers and the scoffers may laugh and sneer and snigger and think we're nuts, but one day they won't. Because one day the eastern sky will break. <laughs> One day the Bible says men will cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall and hide us from him. He's coming. So he is coming back. And people can laugh and mock and jeer all they like. But he will return. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So we're looking for his return. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, today we have come to your house and we have worshipped and we have lifted up your name. We have exalted the name of Jesus, our risen Savior today. So we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, this is a holy day for us. It's a day of reflection. It's a day whenever we look back and rejoice in what you have accomplished through Calvary and the resurrection. So we thank you for it. And Lord, the day is not through yet. There's more to come, and we bless you for it. And so, Lord, as we worship you today, we pray that your resurrection will be more real to us than it's ever been, that your presence will be more real to us than it's ever been, because, Lord, you want to draw near to each of us to manifest yourself by your spirit to us. So we give you thanks for this, and we worship you and praise you. Bless the service tonight as we come together. We pray, Lord, that your presence will be with us. And Lord, through drama and through singing and through whatever we do tonight, that Jesus will be lifted up in the midst and that you will draw men to yourself. We pray for that gracious work of your Holy Spirit to draw men and women and boys and girls to yourself tonight. That something for eternity will be accomplished. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.